0: Hello, welcome to some derps talk about games. I'm your co-host, Mango.
1: And I am your co-host, Buddy.
0: And today we're going to talk a little bit about Pacific Rim Uprising and Ready Player One. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast.
1: On this podcast, we do normal podcast episodes, even though it's April Fool's. We totally should have done something, like, funny yeah. and, like, weird, but... But this is just a normal episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well... Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, today we're talking about Ready Player One and Pacific Rim because they've come out oh, you, you know, you very, what th- very recently.
0: I've got an April Fool- Fool's joke. Okay. Pacific Rim Uprising was good. <laughs> April Fool's! That was a good one. <laughs> anyway. I
1: also thought it was pretty bad.
0: <laughs> anyway. Uh, um, warning, spoilers for those two movies. Uh, just quick... Before we get too deep into the spoilers, if people want to know, quick first impressions. Obviously, I thought Pacific Rim Uprising was terrible, um, and I thought Ready Player One was all right. What did you think, buddy?
1: I thought Ready Player One was pretty good, and Pacific Rim Uprising was
0: pretty bad. All right, well, say so myself. uh, let's just get into it, then. Let's start with Pacific Rim Uprising, um...
1: Good, actually, because I have a lot to say about Ready Player One, I really do not have that much to say about Pacific Rim Uprising. I wanted Pacific Rim Uprising to be good, and it wasn't, and it was
0: really bad, and that's it, frustrating. It was, it was, like, I was impressed by how much of a garbage fire it was, honestly. Like, <laughs> like I don't, like, I'm normally kind of bad at detecting this stuff early on, but, mm. like, the minute I see, like, teenage... Teenage wonder kid builds her own scrap bot. Like, I'm like, oh, no. And then she's like, well, let's name model of toy. Oh, no. And then names every single robot. Oh, no. Then- yeah, like
1: The, the rampant commercialism doesn't actually bother me all that much. Like, you know what? Like, okay we live in a, a in, in a in a market economy you know what i mean movies aren't cheap and you got to you got to make it on the back end with like merchandise and shit all right you know like i'm am on i'm down for that shit i'm
0: on board with that or whatever but it was just like uh yeah, look i'm 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 okay with that too it's just the way they went about doing it was just mm. so like it didn't even bother me from the commercialism aspect so much like i didn't even tap into that until a little bit later but like just the kind of way, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Ray from the Last Jedi. Really? Uh, just kind of like the starry-eyed fanboy thing, like, and that just it just dug under my skin because it was so like, it just felt so like 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 dumb. Like like again, not even the commercialism aspect. Um, but yeah, that that was like that, and then um. You know, I one of one of our friends that I watched with is maybe maybe a little bit cynical of this, but as soon as like you know, Chinese corporation in a legendary picture to so something like, Oh, that person's gonna turn out to be the hero. And not only does that person turn out to be one of the heroes, they kill off the Japanese person who was the hero, like, immediately. Like I, I don't know. I, I think I'm a little bit cynical on that. Like I said, one of one of uh, the people I usually go to see these friends of the show, Alexio, is particularly sensitive to this. And he, yeah, and so for some
1: background, out. Legendary Pictures uh, is a company that is co-owned, I believe, um, or maybe owned completely outright by a Chinese movie, uh, by a Chinese movie studio. This is actually really important in order to get foreign films, um, foreign films from the perspective of China uh released in china you have to co-finance or co-distribute or you know in some way kind of partner up with a with a domestic uh movie company in order to like get those rights um and uh it is pretty widely believed that the only reason pacific rim got a sequel um in the first place is because it did pretty well in china uh, here's hoping that Warcraft gets a, seg- a sequel for the same fucking reason, um, <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> there's just, like, I don't know, I, the, the, the plot of the movie, just to give, like, a quick recap, is that, essentially, the Idris Elba's son from the first one is, uh, a shithead, and he washed out of the program, and then he washes back into the program, and is training a bunch of teenagers that get, like, five minutes of screen time, like, combined. And Scott Eastwood is there, and they're friends, but not friends. And the whole thing turns out... Th- and then there's, like, an evil Jaeger that they fight, and it kills Makomori. Mori, and then they fight it again, and then more evil Jaegers show up, and you find out that Charlie Day from the first one, when he drifted with the kaiju, is evil, and he's been, like, kaijuing up the the jaegers and then he makes a super big devastator combiner kaiju in tokyo which is right next to mount fuji for some reason and geographically doesn't make any sense and then it wants to blow up the whole world it's very dumb
0: yeah well it's to, to be clear it's that um like charlie day works for the chinese company who to their credit makes the boss seem like a psychopath for half a second so oh yeah and then she's a good guy yeah yeah. i was like i was like
1: man this is really mean to the chinese corporation for a chinese corporate movie right and then it turns out that like she was just duped by charlie day or whatever like the evil american
0: is the one who's i was gonna (laughs) say like it doesn't change the fact that like so um basically the chinese corporation has developed drones that can be they can be controlled remotely, and these seem like a pretty good idea. They only require one pilot, unlike the Jaegers, who require two pilots because they're so big or something. Um, and uh, they—they're uh, about to vote on whether or not to implement the drone program, which will effectively displace the Jägers. Um, and then this rogue Jaeger shows up and kills—kills uh, kills the, the 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 female character from the last movie, like, Mako Mori, is you yeah, Macomori's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she was going to be the deciding vote and she was going to vote against the drones. Um, but her dying like leads the UN to, in, to pass emergency resolution approving the drones. Um, and then, uh, Charlie Day's character is, uh, like, like walks into work and she's like, we got this order. You need to be done in 48 hours. And he's like, yeah, I, I figured things would go a little bit slower given everything that just happened. And then she says something along the lines of, uh, you know, well, her dying caused this like our drone program to be approved so overall it's a positive uh and it's just like what she (laughs) couldn't look more at the camera and like wink yeah you know (laughs) when she said that and like oh so this is this is like you know i will give the movie that it surprised me with the twist right like i i did not see that coming because they put the finger so heavily on like you know evil on the red herring yeah yeah um and so, you know, I, I, I can give it that, although I like even though they tried their best to kind of un untwist that twist by showing him like going home and talking to the, you know, and the Alice's his wife and he, being and he fucks yeah, and he fucks the kaiju
1: brain. Yeah. Um implicitly.
0: And I, Yeah. I was just kind of like uh. Maybe Gilder Del Toro did send in notes. Uh well, to be honest, I,
1: that was something that I expected in the first one. As soon as he drifted with the kaiju in the first one, I was like, "Oh, he's evil now, right?" And then that never paid off, and so I was kind of like, "Oh, well, whatever." So I actually, you know, like I think that it's kind of clever to like to bring it back in this one, but it, it felt to me more like the, um, I don't know. I really didn't like the kind of hybrid kaiju Jaegers. I thought that was pretty dumb. Yeah. Um. And uh, and uh, I thought the rogue Jaeger. Excuse me, I think the rogue Jaeger was pretty stupid, right? Like, it was actually kind of neat that it was controlled by, like, a kaiju brain. Like, I thought that that was, um, like, that, you know, the idea that the drones need a kaiju brain in, in there and maybe, like, the kaiju would go crazy or something, kind of independent of all of this. I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought that maybe they were genetically engineering a kaiju. Um, like, that was the reason that she had Charlie Day, like... They were genetically engineering a kaiju to justify the continued existence of the Jaeger and drone programs now that the breach has been closed. Um, I thought that that made plenty of sense, but... Um, didn't do any of that. They didn't do any of that. They were just like, ha, ha, ha!" Charlie is so evil, you guys. Uh, and all of your main characters are really shit, and they don't really have any personality, and... All of their, you know, like, all of their drama happens before the movie takes place. Like, there's all of this, like, subtext to, like, why uh, John Boyega watched out of the program and Scott Eastwood was Scott Eastwood and, like, the teenagers and all this stuff. And I was just like, why didn't we just shoot that? Like, why are we shooting, like, the the after effects of that where everything is uninteresting and there's no drama?
0: Also, like, like you, you would expect those things to have, like... Like, the resolution to have an arc, but it really doesn't. It's like John Boyega gets ice cream and Nate's like, yo, dude, we got to be dudes. Yeah, and 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 they fight together for most of the
1: movie. I actually thought that the whole thing was going to be that John Boyega was no longer Drift compatible with his old Drift compatible buddy, right? And I was like, oh, that's actually kind of clever, right? Like, he fell out of drift compatibility with an old friend because of their differences or whatever. But then he finds this teenager, and what do you know? The two of them are drift compatible, and now they need to, like, work together or whatever. But most of the movie is Scott Eastwood and John Boyega being being drift buddies. And it's only at the very, very, very end that What's-Her-Face shows up and is like, I'm going to be your – the other fucking – I'm going to be the other pilot, which it's just like – very dumb. Very stupid. Yeah, and, Completely and, lacks any drama.
0: And, like, the the tension between Nate and John Boyega's character is resolved with, like, uh, we need to stop fighting. And then, okay. And, and that's basically... And kind of, like, and, and like every emotional arc, right? Like, John Boyega's sister died. Was John Boyega, like, was that character in the first movie at all? No, no, okay, no, he was not. I, so he, he's... He, like Makamori is is his adopted sister and she dies and he has like about five seconds of, of emotion before he like turns around and goes and like teaches teaches kid some like you know goes and tries and practice drift with the kid who has about five seconds of character development where her parents literally get stomped to death by a kaiju.
1: Oh my god, and it was so funny. What yeah. what, what? How did that make it into Okay, so I just need to describe this scene for people who who weren't who weren't there and haven't seen this movie, okay? So she's at the Santa Monica Pier, okay, in Los Angeles. She's at the Santa Monica Pier, and she's just like having a good old day, right? And her and her dad takes a picture with a Polaroid and he, she's like, here, go flap this pol- polaroid over there for no reason. And so she runs over there and she starts flapping the polaroid. And then there's like some water and it's like drip, drip, drip. And she's like, hmm, what's that water? And she looks up. There's a giant fucking kaiju that came out of the water immediately next to the pier. Right? Completely out of nowhere. The most silent killer, I, you know, that any of us have ever have ever encountered. But then, okay, cool. So there's this like big kaiju thing. And then she's running back to her family that she had no good reason to run away from in the first place. And a kaiju foot, bah, like stomps through the pier right and so and so she's a couple of feet away from her 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 dad or whatever and the first thing I thought was like wow that kind Kaiju foot is actually pretty small if you think about it because it was only a couple of feet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we've I think seen, it was in its tail or something. Was, yeah, like we've seen like the Jaeger feet take up two full lanes of traffic, right? Like it right. is clearly twenty feet from end to end. But apparently the Kaiju feet are only yeah, you know, like three or four feet. Whatever, you can jump across that. And then and then the dad is like, "Come on, jump!" And everybody's all squished together. They're all, they're all real bunched up, right? It's not like he didn't t- he, he didn't tell like the mom or whatever to like run away. Like they're all there waiting for like baby what's her face right and then the and then another kaiju foot comes down and it just like stomps them and they're all dead and i was just like that's f- fucking what that's humor this is a joke what's going on like i was <laughs> man yeah so that happened
0: yeah no as like I think it was around this point that, that I was also watching with a friend of the show, Mark, he said he said he's like, you know, you know, I, it's this movie isn't great, but I need it to get more stupid and then I think it'll be good. Um, and- you know, and so I actually wanna defend that, right? Because I said I said this I think on the cast leading
1: up to uh, le- like, leading up to the, re- the release of Pacific Rim, like, something uh, something I was looking forward to. I think the original Pacific Rim is pretty good, right? It's pretty great. But I do not think it is it is as good as it could be, specifically because, and this is going to sound paradoxical, it is better than it should be. Which is to say that, like... Because Pacific Rim cares a lot about the characters, right, and gives everybody a lot of, like, backstory and, like, character growth and their arcs and, like, everybody has an arc. Even minor characters have arcs and everything like that. That's a lot of screen time. That takes up a lot of time, right? And I think that that time would have been better used with... Kaiju fights, right? Um, the criminal thing that happened in terms of, like, the action in Pacific Rim 1 is that the Crimson Typhoon and then that Russian Gager get pretty, like, insta-stomped. And they don't really do anything. And I was really hoping that they, they would at least get, like, one fight scene to kind of build them up and then one fight scene to kill them. Right, where the stakes get raised sort of thing, right? And so that's my that's my overall criticism. Pacific Rim is a very good movie, but the thing that keeps it from being truly great is not being trashy enough. And there are movies that I think are legitimately like good because of this like overabundance of trashiness. I talked about Kong Skull Island a bunch on the podcast, and it's the perfect example. There are no character arcs, really, in Kong Skull Island. It's just a bunch of personalities and archetypes that get together, but that's kind of not the point, right? The point is that King Kong is huge, and he's, like, beating the shit out of, like, giant bipedal reptiles, and there's, like, all this character design and world building that goes into it, and that's the stuff that sells Kong Skull Island, right? And so it is just trashy enough to be great, is what I would say. And this movie could have done that, right? Right. If it had more discernible personalities for these different characters, right? And if they were more kind of, like, archetypal, I I guess I would kind of say, right? Where, like, we can kind of just walk in and know who all of these characters are because they're so clearly archetypes, right? So we don't have to spend a ton of time with them or anything along those lines. And then, and this is the crucial part that they really fuck up, and then the action has to be good. Right. There has to be good stuff that is other than, you know, plot and characters and stuff like that. Right. Like interesting, an interesting world, an interesting setting, really cool creature designs. Right. Really compelling action that's shot well and that and that, you know, uh, is 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 tense and dramatic. Right. Even if it doesn't have narrative drama, it at least has visual drama. And there is none of that in this movie. The action is bad. It's atrocious. It's real bad. And I hate it.
0: And that's what makes me mad. Yeah, no, I, I I would agree with that, one hundred percent. I don't know if I have anything to add. The to-
1: specific thing, the specifically that makes the the action bad in Pacific Rim Uprising is the Jaegers are clearly um, weightless and they are treated as people, but like scaled up, right? And that's a huge problem. Like one of the one of the things that makes the action in Pacific Rim so awesome is there is so much weight and power in these vehicles right and in the kaiju right they when they when they step on things it's they there is that huge crunch of everything because they they weigh so much and it is slow and plodding and ponderous and there are tons right like like the the weight of tons at work um and in this movie, it didn't have any of that. And I'm sure there are people who appreciated the more agile Jaegers um, and kaiju and kaiju Jaegers. I guess like if somebody were to tell me, well, I actually like the action in this one because it was it was faster paced, right? And the Jaegers were more flexible, and they you know, um, and the fights were more dynamic. Like I guess I would agree that that is the case. Uh, but unfortunately, I f- felt. I don't know that, that it just didn't, it just didn't translate to the kind of size and scale that the Jaegers and the kaiju
0: want to be on, and so I, I think part of it too is that like they, they they kind of Marvelified it in a lot of ways. Like there were there were a lot of, there were a couple of like you know ha ha funny robot trips over and like makes the car alarm go off, uh type of like 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 the, the agile this was not always in in service to making the fights more agile sometimes it was in service of doing weird slapstick comedy yeah uh, which I think is, is is another misstep in that kind of direction um uh, just weird um, although I do want to say that this this movie had a moment for me where like it hit like full stupid enough that it pushed over from bad into like so bad it's entertaining for me <laughs> okay. Um, And it's, 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 it's this ramp and it starts with, um, you know, them figuring out, uh, that these Kaiju are, uh, are They're they're going to Mount Fuji and, uh, and John Boyega says to, uh, to Newt, uh, he says, can your booster, um, can your booster be ready? And he says, he says, uh, you know, today means yes or something, you know, something, something cheesy like that. But then, immediately following it, is this weird-ass, like, how-it's-made-style, weird zoom repair montage. It's just like, what the fuck is happening? With the camera, <laughs> like, flying all over the place. And they repair the robots, and everybody gets in. And then there's, a there's like, a cheesy speech from John Boyega. And then they launch the robots out, and the dude starts playing the troll song on the fucking monitor. And it's yeah, like, I, I, what? I,
1: I really did not understand that.
0: It was like like you know this is this is kind of equivalent to uh you know what the, the what are those type of thing like the the, the shoe thing for Black Panther and if I had liked this movie I would have hated this moment but because this movie was so bad it's just so what the fuck that it pushes it over the edge from from like what, it's this like I just couldn't stop laughing I'm like how did this happen why is this in this movie and I, just, I, I just I just like laughed for like a good three minutes straight at, like the absurdity of it all and so yeah
1: i also i also really want
0: to call into see part of part of what also makes this movie
1: bad is the kind of retcons that it does to the first movie and i want i want to call these into stark relief because they really bother me okay so the first thing that bothers me is that um the drone Jaegers show up and then they wreck the different Jaegers in like in the shatter dome or whatever um and then immediately, like thereafter, the breach. They like they do this thing where they start making breaches all around the Pacific Rim, and three kaiju get out and start converging on Mount Fuji. Okay, right. Um, one kaiju gets out north. Gets gets gets. I guess spawned northwest kind of of Mount Fuji, and is coming from like the northwest side. So it cannot be that far away, right? Plus. We've seen in Pacific Rim 1 how quickly Kaiju move. And it's not as though the repairs that they needed to make to the Jaegers in the Shatterdome were like small surface level things or whatever. And even if they were, by the way, Jaegers are fucking gigantic. You wouldn't be able to do that in a matter of hours, but they literally took the arm of one Jaeger and put it on another Jaeger as part of like these repairs. And then after like the repairs have already gone underway, what's her, the, the Chinese corporate woman shows up and she says, well, I'm going to make a bunch of, you know, Shao industries upgrades to your Jaegers or whatever. And so any kind of sense of scale or time just makes absolutely no sense. Right. The, the amount of time it would take to repair these Jaegers in time to get to Mount Fuji and defend it, or whatever, just is ludicrously short. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, And then the second thing is that they, they have this idea that, like, the kaiju have been going to Mount Fuji the entire time, which makes zero fucking sense. Because in the first one, the breach is in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and the very first Jaeger heads northwest and crushes through San Francisco, which is, what he's not going to Mount Fuji that is the least direct way he could go to fucking Mount Fuji if he wanted to not to mention the Jaeger that goes to Anchorage Alaska that gets taken out in that movie not to mention the Jaegers that go to Hong Kong not to mention the Jaegers that go to Sydney like there are Jaegers who are clearly not heading from the breach to Mount Fuji because if that was the case all Jaegers would be would be moving in like one straight line and there would never be any need for the Jaegers to be anywhere but all you know know defending that line of the breach to mount fuji so that's very dumb it doesn't make any sense it's very dumb and i hate it and it's very dumb
0: i, I just need to point out that uh you said the Jaegers came out of the breach it's the kaiju but your point's well taken uh yeah yeah it's the kaiju anyway
1: okay so i guess we all think this movie is dumb but i have a lot of i want to talk about Ray player one Do you want to move on yeah let's do it Fuck okay it. so Ray player one is really good i didn't read the book i did um, how As does usual. it stack up to the book? I here's the thing: uh, Ready Player One has been so saturated in hot takes of like the book is so fucking awful, right? You know, I had a friend who's like, "Oh, it's Twilight for boys." You know, it's like Twilight for boys who grew up in the '80s or whatever. Um, which I was kind of like, I you know, I didn't read the book, I can't really like fight back on that, but I trust Steven Spielberg. He is probably one of the best directors if not the best director that's working in Hollywood. Uh, if there's anybody who can make this kind of salvageable, it's probably him. Did he d- does the book match that kind of title of, you know, trashy twilight for dudes or okay. whatever. And uh, and does and does Steven get across the finish line?
0: So so here I've got I got a lot of thoughts on this. Um I've never read twilight So I can't, uh, I can't really do a direct comparison there. Um, It sounds about right to me. Um, What I will say is the prose is kind of awful, right? Like it it is, um, like the way he writes sounds kind of reads kind of like bad fanfic um, in that kind of way, where like he over describes a bunch of things, he repeats himself a bunch of times. But that being said, the plot and some of the themes are ultimately interesting, and he scratches at them a little bit. Um, and I appreciated it from that perspective. And when it comes to the movie, I think that there were a bunch of points in the movie where I thought the book did it better, but like, it is, this is a weird thing. Cause it's kind of like saying that, like, like the, 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 the book did some things better, but like the, the pros is, is bad enough that like it, it, it counterbalances it versus the movie. Like in, I know, it's, it's kind of like a game with, like, bad graphics, right? Like, like, Ready Player One is an interesting game with bad graphics, but that's kind of, it's, it's a little bit worse than that, maybe, because, like, like, the prose is all that the book is, right? Um, but you can you can tell that the concepts behind it were neat. And, you know, maybe if he had a couple of editors, he could have gotten into a, a, a much better shape, a much better place. I mean, I couldn't help but see some of the flaws in the movie that, were solved by the book. Like, for instance, um, uh, when uh, Wade and Artemis, uh, or when when Parzival and Artemis kind of have their breakup scene, in the movie, uh, uh, Artemis is kind of right. Like, they don't know each other, like, at all. They've been together, they've, like, spoken to each other, like, twice, and maybe been hanging out for, like, maybe a week at most. In the book, they've been seeing each other for six months online. And so the point of that, which is that like, you know, I don't care how you look. I know who you are because I've been hanging out with you. I know who you are as a person and that's all that's important. That rings a lot truer in the book because it's actually true, right? Like he, he does know who she is. um, And, you know, it's, it's not like gone over in the best detail. It's kind of like, and we hung out together for six months and I love her. Um, but that, that point rings a little bit more true. And that's the thing that, that bothered me. Another thing that bothered me kind of was like, Parzival, or rather Wade, never meets Samantha. I don't remember if that's her real name or not. Um, uh, until literally the last scene of the book, like the like the the after he wins the contest, he like goes outside into a garden where where Artemis is or where Samantha is waiting, and he sees her in person for the first time, and that's just kind of like that's the moment where he finally realizes he can step out of the oasis and live in the real world and makes that connection to the real world. And I thought that was a really good moment in the book that's kind of ruined by him meeting Samantha in person like v- very early in the movie. Um and that's not to say it's bad. It's just it just a, d- d- does a different thing and that's the thing that I, I could I felt that was was lost in the translation across the medium. Um but uh, that that's kind of a couple of of those points from like a that's interesting. A I because
1: I did like I did like the the way that that stuff played out in the movie specifically because um I mean the movie does a little bit of this which bugged which bugged me at the end but like specifically because it doesn't like shit on the idea that the connections that you make with someone uh, online or in an MMO right are false which is kind of what I was afraid of. I, I didn't know where they were going to go with it but I was I was like afraid that they were that you know maybe like Steven Spielberg is too old and he can't you know like he can't understand the idea that you know like you can be friends with someone in an MMO without ever you know like meeting them in real life and I liked that the movie came down so firmly like yeah when Samantha does that breakup or whatever right like She's wrong. They are real friends, right? It's it kind of plays out better with H, honestly, right? Like yeah, the, he, he is real friends with H and with and with Daito and with uh, Show, right? The um, and that that stretches across the boundary. Like the media doesn't really matter, right? And that and it doesn't take away from his ability to form like real connections with these people, which is what I thought was uh. The, There's a lot about this movie that I thought was very cool like thematically. But that was one of the things that I thought was very cool thematically. It's one of the first times I think I've ever seen that kind of a message come through because normally what we see is like the catfishing kind of like you know your online friends are not your real friends kind of like which i just think is the
0: 300 is, pound dude in the basement named yeah Chuck.
1: that's just like old that's just like old people being being wrong and not quite understanding and like as somebody who legitimately upholds friendships like with the guy I host the podcast with who lives six hours away, right? You know what I mean? Like, the, hey. the fact that we can use the internet, right, as something to bridge that gap and allow us to keep a strong friendship. I get that, and that is – and and this is probably the first time I've ever seen that. Like, actually, uh, I, I doubt that it's the first time it's ever been there. Like, I'm sure, like, anime or something – um, or there's like some TV show that's probably like hit on this or whatever but I thought that that was very neat and that was very good and I was very glad about it though I do kind of understand what you mean about the timeline like the whole the whole story takes place inside of like three or four days um, and uh, and I think that that's not great. yeah the, the, in, in, the, the... in a certain sense I, I kind of think we're expected to forgive it because like the story structure it's bar excuse me the story structure it's borrowing from our less realistic in these kinds of terms because it's kind of like steeped in like the eighties or whatever. Right. Um, but I mean, if the book took six months,
0: you know, I don't know, like the, the, the book in total takes six to nine. So, um, basically just to give you a brief overview, um, holiday dies, he does, he, he gives his letter. No one figures out anything for five years. And then, um, actually the, uh, it, it's actually like, these are other things I thought were lost. Were like, um, uh, Wade is very poor. His aunt is super fucking abusive. She only took him in for the food credits, and then he she takes those credits and like uses them for herself and like steals his stuff and sells it. And that's why he's hiding out in the van. And he only has access to the oasis because James Halliday set up a program for kids to be able to go to school in the oasis, and he was accepted. Um, and uh, uh, it's five years later, and him and Artemis. Kind of simultaneously, so um, they figure out that the 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 first key is actually the Tomb of Horrors from D and D. So you know. Oh wow! Of, yeah, um, and uh, instead of ending the way it usually does, you go you get to like a point in the dungeon. You have to beat the uh, you have to beat a lich at Joust, the '80s arcade game. And this, and Artemis figures it out first, but we don't know that. But she figures it out first. But it's take it's she figured it out five weeks ago, but she can't beat the guy at Joust. And then our hero. Parzival uh, makes it and beats Joust, beats the guy on his first try, and, like, you know, this is kind of, like, his, like, oh, man, I finally, like, because he's dirt poor, like, you can't, um, details they go over, like, you can't get off planet without money, and he's a poor kid who just goes to school in the Oasis, so he can't get off planet, so his avatar's stuck at, like, level three or something, and um, this thing, that going through the dungeon gives him a bunch of money, and he's finally able to go out and explore the larger world, um, and it's, uh, and it, it's cool cause like he, he, as he's leaving, he runs into Artemis. Um, and you know, he's, he, he's a fanboy of her. Like he is in the film and he's like, oh yeah, well, uh, you know, I lost, guess I better leave and then you can give it a shot. Um, and then she figures, she figures out that he solved it. And it, 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 like the plot points work. It's just that like, you know, you know how, um, when you were talking about the, uh, the the point about, like, real online relationships, um, in the movie, he says, uh, H says, I think, she could be a 300-pound guy named Chuck in his mother's basement. That's a line directly from the book that he uses, like, six times. Like, every time he, he, you meet a new character, he's like, and they look like this, but he could have been something else. Uh-huh. Right, right, but does, but so, so this is another thing I really liked about the movie. Does he meet H, and is H really, like, a woman? Yeah, no, so eventually, towards the end of the book, and it makes more like it just kind of appears in the movie in the book. So in, in the book, Og shows up slightly earlier and it's like, look, IOI is trying to subvert the intention of Halliday's contest. So I want to help you guys because um, I was actually waiting for this to happen. I always straight up murders Daito at some point. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, like first, first he, he like gives himself up to save. So in, in the book. Show is Shoto, and they're Daito and Shoto, and they're supposed to be like, you know, like twin samurai or I something. They're both Japanese. Um, and Daito lets his character die defending Shoto. Um, but then the IOI Goon Squad breaks into his apartment and throws him off the balcony. And people just think it's some uh, Hikikomari who's just killed himself because that's what they do. Um, uh, but in the wake of that, Ogden Morrow gets in touch with all four of them and is like, look, come to my place finish it like this is right before they do their final assault on uh on uh on the castle and they come to my place and um uh H picks uh 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 parts of or Wade up and it's he she is a a a black woman she's also a lesbian um, and that's part of why she's in that she's the reason she's in the van is her mom has kicked her out for being a lesbian um, and there's some deeper stuff there. Cause- yeah, see, because that's, that's what I like about it, is that, like, when she keeps saying, or when
1: she says in the movie that he could be a 300-pound dude named Chuck or whatever, that's not that's not an expression of a real anxiety, right? That's an expression yeah. of her own insecurity at not being accepted, right? right? And so I like that the movie comes down on the side of, like, no, these people are being honest with you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, sure, they could be that way, but people are a lot more sincere than you give them credit for, which is what I thought was kind of so radical. That- and then I also liked when it comes to H um, in the movie specifically, uh, like the whole bit in The Shining, which, by the way, was a trip. I had yeah. no idea that that was coming, and I was just kind of like, "What? What?" But I love, I love how, um, I love how the the whole bit in The Shining hinges on. H doesn't know – has never seen The Shining and doesn't know about the movie, but is just, like, an attentive person and an observant person and is able and, – and sees, you know, and sees, like, the painting – Um, And that's how they figure out the puzzle. Because something else that gets lobbied as criticism against, like, Ready Player One or whatever is that it's basically this idea that, like, oh, if you just memorize enough unimportant trivia about, like, 80s pop culture, there's some fucking reward in life for you. And this movie kind of says, like, no, well, you know, like, not really, right? Like, H doesn't memorize anything, but she's friends with people. You know what I mean? Like, she works with her friends um, and is able to help everyone get across the finish line because they're a team. Um, and so I thought that that was I thought that that was pretty like pretty cool and pretty well done.
0: So I so, so something that I want to point out is I think I think that that's a kind of unfair criticism of the book because I think the point that they're going for that he's that Ernest Klein is going for in the book is that a man has died and has offered an insanely value it's like what five hundred billion dollars an insane amount of money to someone who can figure out this Easter egg, and the to entry for figuring out this Easter egg is relatively low ceiling, right? It's like 80s trivia, right? right? And it's not that, you know, you are rewarded for, like, memorizing dumb 80s trivia. It's that when someone that powerful does something like that, they shift the cultural landscape such that that's what people, like, naturally get pushed towards, right? Like, if, the, if you know, somebody died tomorrow, if Bill Gates died tomorrow and was like, you know, whoever can recite... All of the words of gun of all the Gundam animes front to back first wins like you know a controlling share of Microsoft. You bet you, you bet your ass that like a ton of people would start memorizing Gundam because one it's relatively low barrier to entry right you don't have to worry about. Like you know, being a rocket scientist or like sure, yeah. or, or whatever, and two, it's a chance that many people aren't going to have. Like that, that's what the story is ultimately at its at its core is that Wade is a dirt poor orphan who can't get who has been dealt a shit hand in life, and he is able to kind of utilize oh the talents god. he has to. Oh uh, my god! What? You just like that this movie's libertarian? No! 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 no. Uh, it's, <laughs> It's, it's, but it's not, that's though, funny. right? Like, it's...
1: it's That seems like what you're describing, though. Like, you were, like, a second away from saying Wade pu- pulls himself up but, by his bootstraps but d- but and d- relies on the generosity of a private businessman. You know but, what I mean? But,
0: but see, he, he, he doesn't, though, right? Like, that's <laughs> that, that's kind of... Like, this is very kind of anti-that, right? Like, it's it's not him doing something extraordinary. on his own, it's him memorizing a bunch of 80s trivia. Um, but it's... Him grabbing hold of like it's the point I think is less that him doing that is some you know, extart like you know it's good to memorize 80s trivia. The point is that like, um, g- given that opportunity, the cultural landscape would shift would shift like this, and I I, I think that's a cool exploration. Not not the kind of because it's not really a pull yourself up by your bootstraps thing, right? Like you can't you can't fucking become a millionaire by memorizing. Fucking obscure. I mean, but that's exactly what you're
1: talking about. That's what he. That's literally what he does. It just all—all all the obscure trivia is—is is the skill that he has dedicated himself to, which all of a sudden becomes incredibly lucrative when James Halliday runs this contest or whatever. Right. I, right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, know. I you know I, I I like I don't really think of think of things in that kind of vein. I mean, I do think that this is like a movie that is simultaneously pretty pro capitalism like okay so part of this is that it's a pretty powerful critique of marxist media theory um which kind of says this is also like hegemony theory which kind of says that like the only thing that really like matters um is the person who gets the money from pieces of media like this, right? Like, um, and so, and you, and you'll hear this from time to time. Like James Cameron said this about Wonder Woman, where he was kind of like, "I appreciate that, like young women are feeling empowered, right, or whatever." But at the end of the day, the the money from their ticket sales are just going into the pockets of rich old white men, and there's not, you know. And, and so it kind of, like, undermines that, that kind of achievement or that representation, right? That achievement, that representation is just a cynical move by corporate, you know, by corporate bastards who are trying to keep, um, you know, who are trying to keep the, the oppressed groups or whatever oppressed by uh, essentially stealing and selling back to them their own culture, right? That's, that's hegemony theory. This movie very vehemently disagrees with that because the whole point uh, is, like the, the whole point is that IOI is that corporation, right? And like the big rallying of all of these people expressing themselves by like, you know, wearing avatars like Tracer or using the Iron Giant or fucking like Daito pulling out a Gundam or whatever, right? Like this is them saying, no, the people who really matter are the audience, right? And the value that the audience pulls from your media is worth way more than the money you pull from the audience, kind of a thing, um, which I appreciate. I, th- I thought that that was very, uh, I thought that that was very cool, and that, that was very smart and clever. Uh, and it's not something we see all the time, and it's it's like a life affirming kind of uh, kind of like message, right? Um, and it skirts the line of like the trivia isn't important, but like the culture is, right? Like that this sure. culture matters. Uh, and uh, and that the people who use it to you know uh, to express themselves in a more true way, right, are doing a, a good right thing. And so that's part of that's part of what I really re, what I really love about this movie. Though I also think that it undermines itself at the end because Steven Spielberg can't help but be like an old man and be like, "Well, those millennials should spend less time on their phones." Yeah, no, like, like the,
0: Tuesday, the Tuesday Thursday thing in North, the shit
1: Right I mean. at the end, I was just like,
0: "What the fuck!" Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it, like it. Th- that's not in the book at all. Um, you know, like the last line of the book is basically like he he, he says, you know, for the first time, I felt like I. I like, I didn't need to go back to the, or, like, basically the, the the big thing is that the entire time of the book, like, if he's not in the Oasis, it's him waiting to get back into the Oasis. He moves to an apartment, like, in a high-rise, mm. with big windows that look over Columbus, and he spray-paints them black, so he doesn't have to see the outside world. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. That's um,
1: cringy, but uh, okay. it's,
0: it's It's, you know... It's it's not subtle, but, like, it, the, the point's there. That's right? actually
1: worse than the movie. Because this is the other thing that I like that the movie did, is it integrated the Oasis into his life without making a judgment call about whether or not the real world is better or worse. Until the very end, right? You know what I yeah. mean? Where, where, like, this this whole thing came out. And there's a little bit of this with, like, Mark Rylance's character, though I also kind of, like... Who's Mark Rylance? I'm sorry. Mark Rylance is the guy who plays James Holiday. Okay. Uh, he's been in a whole bunch of Spielberg movies. He's in Bridge of Spies, which was He's, he's actually a really famous Shakespearean actor in London, uh, and he has been a like a London Broadway kind of star, like theater star for a really long time. Obviously, it's not called Broadway, but the, you know, like the, the it's the equivalent. Um and, uh, and he finally, finally, like, kind of made the big break into movies in 2015 with Steven Spielberg's movie Bridge of Spies, which is fantastic. And you would love that movie, by the way. Um, and, uh, and then he's been popping up and stuff ever ever since, right? He was in Dunkirk. Uh, he was obviously in this. He was the BFG when Steven Spielberg did the BFG last year, two years ago maybe um so that's so that's who that's who mark rylance is but i also like that they that they moved away a little bit um from trivia and made it a little like the the getting the keys is about trivia and it is more about understanding who mark Hall- or um uh who mark you know fucking james, james halliday, halliday was as a person more so than it was about you know the, really the only thing at the end is like the Easter egg in adventure and that's just a metaphor right for
0: kind of um... yeah that that's like the thing in the, in the book so part of the thing is, is that in the book the three key the three gates are are also tasks to be finished so it's like six parts it's like each key and then each gate okay um, and so it's a little bit more complicated than they uh, than, than they do in the movie which is fine um, uh, and uh What's what's the other part of this that I wanted to point out? Um, and not all of the, I guess a lot of it is trivia, right? Like the first gate, the first key is doing, uh, is is tubafars, and the second, the first gate is you get dropped into, um, war games, and you have to, like, you pl- like he's playing uh the main character, oh. uh, and he gets you have to like. You have to, like, match movie lines line for line, and you get a – you get score you score points based on how well you match the movie, um, which is, like, immediate – like, in-universe becomes, like, a type of game that the company immediately uh, patents and puts out. But, yeah. Uh, what's this – I was trying to think of, like, what they all are, and it, it, it is a lot of it's, – it's a lot of trivia.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you know the, – the, This, I I don't know one way or the other, but this is the criticism that people have been kind of like prepared for in a way. Um, And I like that it dodges that kind of thing because like, yeah, there's trivia to it. I guess, right? But this is why I think it was so important to have H kind of be the one to, to find the crucial clue in The Shining and not having seen The Shining because what matters is they're a team, right? And you don't need to know the trivia in order to get across, you know, like, to get across the finish line, right? It's not like H solves that, that challenge by herself, right? That challenge is, is a group effort between Parzival... Um, uh Artemis and H. Yeah. This is right? the, that, but like that, H is not worthless because she's never seen the shining.
0: Yeah. Th- this is actually much different than um uh than the in the book they don't really team up until they have to at the very end. Um like the only two that are teamed up are Daito and Shoto. Um and like it's kind of like Daito dying and that kind of like is the catalyst for them to all be like, "Well, fuck." Yeah. Um and, and then, they're all and they're also, all kind of hmm, sorry.
1: Well, and then also, I think um, this also kind of comes up with uh, with like the the final castle and that like big battle where like Parzival rallies everyone, sure, uh, or whatever, right? Like hypothetically, you could say that that's a team up of like the entire community.
0: Yeah, no, I just, just kind of going back to your previous point about this book or about this being kind of libertarian, like like in terms of like radical individualism, I think that's pretty spot on, like they make a big point like ernest makes a big point that h artemis and uh Parzival are all they, they don't clan themselves up and they never will and like they might help each other a little bit along the way but that's like they they are not in a clan and they're not clan members they're, oh yeah see
1: the movie goes against that cuz at the at the end they all clan up or whatever does that yeah happen well, in the the,
0: book? same same thing happened. in the, at the end of the book okay a uh, he like the way he started, so same type of thing happens where, like, through, like, a random circumstance, he gets an extra life, um, that is not, like, a part of the main quest, and, mm. um, he basically, basically, that, that bomb goes off that went off, um, and, like, it's him, and it's, it's just him left, and so he has to go through the final gate himself, and a kind of funny scene where, like, the third gate, like, the third gate's in a castle somewhere, but the bomb blows up the castle, so it's just kind of floating in the air, and he spends, like, five minutes trying to figure out how he's gonna get through the gate, um, is it's it's a neat scene. I would I would actually I don't know if you could stomach the prose, I'd recommend the book. I know I'm kind of I, I might have to, to read the book
1: just to kind of like just kind of like see see yeah. what it is. But the, but the cleaning up I also thought was was uh, like it plays into this whole thing of like they are naturally distrustful because you know everyone has been told their entire lives that friendships you make on the internet aren't real. Yeah. Um, and then they finally accept that no, it is real. We were wrong. We, and then they clean up at the end, which is what I thought was. Uh, which is what I thought was great. And that's just, like, two... I, I also think there's a third thematic layer about, like, the nature of adaptation or adaptation um, because, uh, so, like, so do you know, like, the, the relationship between, like, Stanley Kubrick, The Shining, and, like, Stephen King, The Shining?
0: was uh, like uh, said it in the movie, Stephen King hated it, right? Yeah,
1: Stephen King, like, hates The Shining, which I was, like... So on one hand, I like the, the, you know, this shining reference or whatever, because H hasn't seen it and everything like that. But on the other hand, I was kind of a little bit like, wow, that's like insanely meta. And I can't tell if that's like, I can't tell if that's like Ernest Klein being self-aware of the, his own like book, not making a good movie. Or like the the need like like the need to make it like I don't know I was just like what like what is the movie trying to say yeah, about yeah. the you know the nature of uh, of of uh, uh, of kind of adaptation by using this because it's such a stark example of and and it's text in the film they talk about how Stephen King hates it or whatever because the big thing the big thing that Stephen King hated is in the book Jack Torrance there has a character arc where he starts as a good guy. Um, but he slowly starts to kind of, like, unravel as his, his kind of, like, you know, insecurities get the best of him or whatever, whereas in the movie, there really isn't that arc, he's just kind of start to finish a bad dude, um, and, uh, and, like, the horror... Uh, is kind of all atmospheric and fear of the unknown psychological shit, right? Which is kind of what people find so mesmerizing about it, right? Like, what does it mean at the very end when they, like, do this slow zoom into the photograph and Jack Torrance is in the photograph or whatever, right? Like, there's all these different ambiguities, right? Like, what's up with the fucking bear dog, like, blowing that one, dude? Um, Or whatever. Um, and, uh, and And so I was kind of like, is that making a... Like, is Ernest Klein kind of making a point that, like, (laughs) that, like, they needed to make these changes and he's apologizing to his fan base? Or is this Steven Spielberg being like, no, Ernest, your book is not that good. Okay, settle down. I don't know. I was just like, what? You know, like, maybe it's
0: just Steven Spielberg and Stanley Kubrick were friends, so... But I don't know, I can't believe it's that. There's got to be something deeper there, right? I, I don't know, man. It, it Like, from what I've seen, Ernest Klein seems like a pretty chill dude, right? Like, maybe yeah. he just, like... Like, he seemed pretty pumped for the movie. He's like, you know, whatever. Yeah, he, he wrote the... Like, he, Well, he helped write the screenplay, yeah. I think.
1: So, you know. I also think that there's something to be said. Like, for instance, um, the first challenge is all remix. Uh, the second challenge is kind of like has has some of this kind of, like, artistic intent stuff going on. Um, and then the third challenge is literally about artistic intent, right? Like, this is about the artist put something that he intended for somebody to find. It's just that it's not winning the game. It's, you know, doing the special dot and unlocking, like, the first Easter egg. And so I kind of wonder, like, whether or not this is, like, some kind of weird, like, author is dead. Maybe I'm thinking too much about this, but... Yeah. Um, no. I mean, that. I, I point, don't know. Like, I, I couldn't help but see. Like, oh, I can't.
0: I couldn't help but see these patterns. I guess. Yeah. That intent point definitely wasn't part of the text of the book. Like, just kind of like, and like the last, the last gate thing. One of the last challenges, like, tempest. I want to say, and, and part of it is this realization that you can't win it. So the last gate can only open if three people um, present their crystal keys at the same time. Um, and it's presented as how they wanted that last part of the, of the race for the Easter egg to be, um, you know, in a, in a, in a spectacle, you know, requiring at least three people to be racing through this last thing. Um, and so it's live broadcast or whatever, uh-huh. but like when they get to the part where it's adventure, it's like, Oh, I got to go for the, it. It's like very much like, yeah, I have to go for the first Easter egg. And it's, it's none of that stuff about like not winning the game or exploring. It's just kind of like. Yeah and then then I got the Easter egg and that was really cool. And then I won a bunch of money. Cuz I thought that that was so I thought that
1: that was so important to like this that the the whole thing with the Easter egg kind of backs up um you know the the this kind of idea that like it's about the it's not about it's not about like the the bottom line. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the bottom line to any game is the win state and it's winning or losing, right? And that's kind of like a mirror of what IOI sees which is money right yeah, like their yeah. their bottom line is the 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 corporate bottom line or whatever and so of course they are obsessed with just winning and they don't think about the they don't think about playing as like a real experience where the journey itself is like is like fun or fulfilling right which is kind of what the real like, reward is the, the friends
0: you made along the way
1: right but i mean i think that's literally the point of the yeah, movie no, and, and, no and, it's,
0: it's <laughs> so it, it's, it's very like um, uh, Nathan Sorrento's character is much less of kind of like a like a corporate drone he's like a very much yeah like yeah. he's still he's still corporate and he's cold-hearted but he's very much like competent and knows like knows what he's doing and is in some ways a like he's more arrogant than he is kind of like just greedy right like 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 uh, Sorrento seems kind of incompetent in 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 the mo- like you know he's just like some corporate stooge that is in charge of getting the seg, whereas he seems in in the book he's a little bit more of like like an evil nerd, if that makes sense. Interesting. Um, also, Iraq is isn't Iraq is is uh, H and Parzival's friend who just kind of <gasps> uh, drama. And not he's not really a big part of the book. Like he hangs out with them in the basement, and like like so. H runs a chat room that is kind of exclusive that Parzival is in and that IROC is in. And IROC leaks that H and Parzival go to school on... Go to the public school system. And that leads a lot of people to figure out where that first key is. And that's like the extent of his role in the story. It's kind of like selling out information about people but he, he's not gotcha. like he's not like a he's in fact supposed to be very incompetent and I actually, like really, liked I, I actually really liked I actually
1: really liked Iraq I thought Iraq was pretty funny he was yeah, like, that's TJ Miller he was, right yeah it's TJ Miller but he was very good like comic relief uh, yeah and uh and you know I like you know like the this like super badass with like a skull for a chest it's kind of like dweeby. yeah, yeah. you know like the, it 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 further to continue harping on this I guess like it further is kind of like the avatars are are people, you know, like they are the people that they are, you know. Um, like I-Rock th- clearly thinks of himself as like a huge badass, but like he obviously comes off as like the dweeb he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought that that was pretty, that was pretty great and pretty funny. Like the part where he was literally like, "Yeah, I rock," <laughs> I was just <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like the best joke in the movie because it is at his expense for thinking he's like a fucking edgelord badass. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I do have to say that I don't think this movie is perfect. I've I've t- been talking a lot about how I think the movie is great because of all of this like insanely deep like thematic meaning that is like in there. Um uh, but I think I think the movie has a real stakes problem between the real world and the game world.
0: Yeah, I, um, I kind of couldn't believe at the like he's like we need all your help. And so like these people show up in the real world And then like the guy pulls out a gun and everybody's like, okay, I guess we'll let him shoot the kid then. Like (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) And I just yeah, I almost kind of wanted it to be a little more, um, I think I almost wanted it to be a little more virtual rather than like this van chase. I don't know. There's something about like the intercutting of like the real world stakes. With the in-game stakes that I didn't quite get into. Like, there was a while where it worked where, like, she... Or, like, uh, Artemis had snuck into the IOI base and was, like, logged into the game through one of their consoles or whatever. Like, I thought that stuff kind of, like, worked out. But I don't know. Like, all the... the, the, the it, in a way, I almost kind of think you have to find a way to, like... Like, The Matrix, I guess, did this. Because The Matrix just says that when you die in, in-game, you die in real life but that wouldn't have worked. I don't know. There's just something about, like, the unreality of the game that is kind of like, well, what really goes wrong if you have to, like, unplug for a fucking second?
0: Yeah, and there's there's also kind of this, this, uh, like, this, this is a problem the book has, too, is, like, zeroing out is kind of supposed to be this, like, it's effectively like dying, and in fact, they went a lot darker with it in the movie than I expected of them to, with the, like, Japanese salaryman attempting to fucking kill himself. Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> it was like, what the fuck? But, um, but, um, like, it's still at the end of the day, it's not like you, you lose, you just kind of, like, lose your stuff, um, which I guess from, like, a very, a very libertarian viewpoint is kind of yeah. the end of the world. You lose all your property, nothing worse could happen to you, um, yeah. Uh, but like that's I, 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 I agree like the that the problem that problem is pre, pre, uh, the problem is present in both the movie and in, in the book um that like the, the stakes of dying in 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 the in in the game world don't seem that bad yeah um at least comparatively um but yeah um I feel like for this movie I definitely recommend seeing it in theaters because it is such a spectacle um yeah and, like, I'm not going to lie, when, like, that final scene happens where a bunch of people kind of, like, everybody shows up in-universe, and, like, there's kids running down the sidewalk, and in-universe, they're, they're a bunch of uh, Spartans. I was like, yeah, that's real, like, that's what I wish real life was like. I,
1: I really loved there was a, there was a Jim Rayner, uh, like, in yeah, the yeah. American flag, like, that was, like, a, I don't know, I, I in, a, in a weird way... Um, I think they did the references right. Like there were kind of three tiers of references. The highest tier being like, the, you know, like the Shining reference, right. which is kind of like it is a it is a reference that impacts the narrative substantially, right? Um, and then there's kind of mid-level references like the Clark Kent glasses or whatever, where it doesn't super it doesn't impact the 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 narrative super intensely, but like it communicates that this is a world where people are very aware of pop culture and they can right. kind of like talk to one. They talk, they use it as kind of, as, as kind of like communication shorthand right. right, amongst one another. And then there's the third level, which is just like, you know, for a second, the Battletoads show up on screen or whatever. Um, and, uh, and I, I wanted to see a little bit more like stuff elevated from kind of that third category to that first or second category. Like I thought it was cool that like Tracer and Raynor were in there. Right. But like, they didn't actually do anything, uh, which sucks. Cause I have a big connection to like Blizzard and their characters, but I don't have as, as huge a connection to say like
0: adventure, but that's just, that's just like a me, me thing. I, I think part of that is, you know, this, this, this is actually one of my bigger, bigger criticisms of the book is that, um, if, you have something that's important enough to be like plot relevant. You kind of have to explain it on some level, right? Like, like when he goes over, like when he figures out it's the tomb of horrors, he spends like, I listened to an audio book, but it's like five or so minutes explaining like what the tomb of horrors is, what, it, what Dungeons & Dragons is, what a module is, and how this was personally relevant to James Halliday. And, like, all of that explanation kind of contributes to kind of, like, this terrible prose in the book. Um, and you can get away with with less of that in the movie, but the things have to be universal enough that you can reliably expect everybody to get it. Otherwise, you like, if you elevated, like, a tracer to one of those positions, I don't think you could get away with just being, like, you know, like, using, like... Tracer as as, as, uh, as kind of like a, a plot point without explaining it at some level to a lot of the audience who isn't going to get it otherwise, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I also think that there are some references in there that I didn't quite get um, that, you know, are just kind of whatever, right? Like, I, like I've like i never seen Gundam. Like, I, I know Gundam conceptually, but I haven't seen Gundam, and so I'm sure that that didn't hit me as hard as it could have hit
0: Right. I you mean, know, but the extent of people. that, that reference is, is a giant fucking robot, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. So. Um, and, you know, like, that's the type of thing you can elevate because, like, it's self-explanatory, right? It's a giant fucking robot and it fights Godzilla. Yeah. You know, who, uh, who gives a shit, right? <laughs> um, uh, whereas, like, something like, something like, say, like, you know, like, if you, if you wanted to put, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what else you could put in that, the, in, in that place to, that would be. There were, but it needs to be things that are that are obvious, or you have to explain it. And explaining it that way lies madness. So, yep. um, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I liked Raid Player One a lot. Pacific rooms bad. Yep, that's that that that's that's uh, the summary, I guess. <sighs> How was your week? Uh, we should talk about Hell's Rebels. Man, there's
1: actually a lot of things. That happened this week. Now that I think about. it. So the first thing we did is we came back to Hell's Rebels. There's a two-party system now. Uh, you guys did some stuff.
0: Fantasy Democrats kind of, and Fantasy yeah. Republicans.
1: I really didn't mean for that to happen. I explained this. I explained this during the stream, but that just kind of ended up happening because uh, because I wanted there to be some some like 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 fundamental. Disagreement about how things get handled, uh, and it wasn't just obvious that you were supposed to support one side over the other. Um, but uh,
0: <laughs> no, I was well, kinda thinking you know, about it because you named it the silver and the reds. I'm like, well, the reds are clearly the Republicans. I'm surprised you didn't name the other side the blues. <laughs> like uh, it, it was. It was, like, when, when you I had... I I actually don't
1: even think that that... I don't, I don't know how much that that stuff tracks even, because, like, the thing about the Sofers is, I guess they're protectionist, but, like, our Republican president is the one who's, like, starting a fucking tariff war with, like, the whole world or whatever. Sure, but, that,
0: but that's widely regarded as, as like, a, a, a non-typical Republican position, right? Like, the Democrats are typical. Like, Bernie Sanders is very protectionist.
1: Yeah, it's also true, I suppose. Um, um, <clears throat> so, I guess I... Uh, um, uh, but yeah like there's not a lot in there about like tax rates and shit like that cuz i'm trying to stay a little bit above the weeds yeah when it comes to like actual numbers but like it it, it well, because it's so obvious that like t- or um uh that uh, Nathaniel Reynolds is all of his trade is outwardly focused right like all of right. his stuff is about um trading with varicia and like all these places across the world uh and then you have canton Jaltero and alluria shadowvale alluria shadow is the biggest landowner in cantargo right like she's very focused on the economy of cantargo itself um and is hostile to the idea of you know foreign investors coming in or whatever and then canton joltero his whole business is inside of ravenal he wants to protect it and stuff like that so you know I felt like that, like that was the that was the the split that had been set up by these characters in their positions that are already on screen. No,
0: makes 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 absolute sense. Um. Yeah. Uh. I don't know if I have anything else really to say about it. It was it was a cool session, right? It was cool catching up with every with everything and like putting everything back in perspective. But I don't know if I could say anything else about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, what else did I do this week? Man, something, something. Ha- oh, I've been playing a lot of Sea of Thieves. Oh, um, I, was, I, was,
0: I have not been playing it so much.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty fun. I don't know. It it is a game that I don't play a ton of, um, but it's a it's it's a nice thing to just kind of like log on with with a couple of folks. We played like after um, we played after House Rebels for a while, complete a couple of missions, and then. And then call it a night. I guess I, I guess I kind of feel the, the content drought to a certain extent. Um, but there's also like, you know, there's 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 actually like more cool stuff to the game than I maybe initially gave it credit for. Like we were finding a lot of like sunken like sunken ships are a big big source of treasure. Um, that gets that gets my attention. Uh, pretty often and like you find and you like find shit or whatever. Um and like we had to deal with some PvP. It's really like the
0: PvP where like the game goes uh where like the game goes crazy, so you you mentioned that. That that that, that like I I definitely had a lot of fun when I uh when I played the PvP stuff, but I don't know, I just I just I just haven't had a chance to get back to it. Plus Yeah, the-
1: I I haven't the, the, the most important thing is that I haven't done full PvP between a full galleon and a full galleon. Huh. Uh, it's almost always galleon versus schooner or schooner running away from galleon it's sort of stuff. S- sloop, I believe. Is sloop, stuff. I'm sorry. a sloop.
0: Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, have I've been mostly playing? Wow, um, been playing. Been Fisher friend. Yeah, I just just got fishing for before we started recording. Um, I've just been busy with kind of other things in the in my other time. I think I don't know. Um, I'm kind of feeling like I'm gonna run out of things to do in WoW real soon, which will be nice for like playing other games, I guess. But uh, I don't know. I I feel like I burned like. Last time I did this, it took me a little bit longer, I feel like, to burn out on the old content, and it lasted me until, like, the next expansion launched, and maybe I came back a little early for that. But, uh, I don't know, maybe I also just went harder this time on, on Legion the, on the front end. Yeah, Chronicle uh, Chronicle 3 came out,
1: mm-hmm. uh, which has been pretty great. Um, Chronicle 3, I, I haven't finished it yet, but it is... Uh, everything from Warcraft 3, just a little bit um, of, uh, before Warcraft 3, there's, like, a little bit of, like, end stuff that bridges the gap between Warcraft 2 and Warcraft 3 and some, like, the books and stuff like that. But, like, the main thrust of it is, like, Warcraft 3 and the early stuff in World of Warcraft that goes up to, I'm told, <coughs> Cataclysm. Um, and, uh, and there's some actually very neat stuff in there. Like, first of all, it canonizes that, like, which faction got, like, which raid kills um so for instance nefarian and blackwing lair was cleared by the horde um because like uh the of the interaction between uh blackrock spire and like dalrend and um uh like the 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 blackrock orcs which were in like upper blackrock spire lower blackrock spire those were all orcs um, and then there was, uh, and then Nefarian was in control of those, okay, so that was all done by orcs, but then Molten Core was cleared by Alliance, uh, because of the Dark Iron Dwarves, um, where, like, Moira, Moira Dark Iron, uh, like, got, you know, got the information out there, um, Zul'Gurub was cleared by both, I think, or no, Zul'Gurub was cleared by Horde, I'm pretty sure, uh, it was Ankaraj that was cleared by both, because there are actually two raids in Ankaraj, there is, like, the Ruins of Ankaraj, and, like, The Temple of Ankaraj, I guess. Um, And, like, the Horde did the ruins and the Alliance did the temple. um, And stuff like that. So it canonizes a bunch of stuff in that way, which is pretty cool. It also explains, like, how certain other things had been, like, interacting, I guess. Um, So, for instance... The, re- like, part of the reason that we all thought Illidan was a good guy, like, this kind of, like, backs up the retcon that went into Illidan, um, with Legion and everything like that, is that Kill Jaden was using the heroes of Azeroth to kill Illidan before Illidan was able to, like, get off his master plan of, like, fucking on the Burning Legion and stuff like that. So, and so it describes all of that stuff happening in Outland during the Burning Crusade, um... And that, uh, uh, and that that's the reason that, you know, the Dark Portal reopened. Because obviously the Dark Portal was reopened by High Lord, like the Doom Lord Kazak or Doom Lord Cruel or something like that. Um, and, uh, and that Horde and Alliance, like, went through. Uh, it's the reason that, like, Velen was allowed, like, Velen was, like, allowed to take the Exodar to... to Azeroth, because, like, even though Killjaden hates Velen, he really wanted Velen to, like, get the races of Azeroth to be, like, super outraged and shit like that. I don't know. It was pretty neat. It was pretty... It's pretty cool to, like, read read this stuff from, like, a definitive take sort of thing.
0: That sounds like a bunch of bullshit. Are you mad? Uh, a little bit. I have all three books. I haven't read them yet, but it's like... I... The, the Illidan retcon has never s- sat well with me. Um... But you know, I mean, the Illidan
1: Illidan Retcon makes sense before they before they like leaned into the Retcon. Like Illidan always had um, kind of like an adversarial relationship with the Burning Legion, and even in Burning Crusade when it was released, there was clear friction between the Legion and Illidan's forces. Right, like they weren't aligned, and they were they were like actively fighting. Uh, really what the retcon does is just punch up the amount that Illidan was fighting and how close he was to, like, defeating the Legion.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I get that. I just, I don't know. It's...
1: Do, re- do retcons bother you in general? Like, how, how much are you tolerant of just, like, retcons in general?
0: Retcons don't usually bother me. They They only bother me when they, like... Change a character's motivation, like they, but when they change, like the fundamental, like they secretly make a bad character good or something, um, in a way that like seems kind of nonsensical, right? But like, to be
1: clear, not like qualitatively in the sense of like, you know, this is a this is a a good, well-rounded, dynamic character, and now he's flat, no, no, and or like, dimensional. It is a character who has good motivations. Now has bad motivations or vice versa.
0: No, I, I mean, I mean, like on a moral scale, right? Like when, when, right, you, right, right, when, right. When, when you make, when you, when you change someone's motive, like you know, when, so, when you do a, re- when you do a retcon to do a face heel turn or a heel face turn. Okay, and uh, so
1: essentially, the and so essentially that Illidan was turned into a face. That's the that's what bothers you about this retcon.
0: Um, and uh, like, it's in a way that feels kind of like. The, the nonsensicalness is kind of, like, a, a bigger part of it, too, right? Like, I'm more forgiving, like, if it was, like, the Elden Outland was actually killed Jaden in disguise, right? Like, that'd be kind of dumb, but, like, it feels, like, it feels, when it feels like Ill, like, you know, the character would have behaved differently if that was actually true at the time, that's where it bothers me, and it feels like that's true for Illidan, right? Like, I feel like Illidan, like, yelling you are not prepared and, like, fucking on the raid Raiders is, like, not a thing he would do if his secret plan all along was to quash the Legion, and I, that's the kind of thing that gets to me. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, you can you can have arguments there about about how accurate that is or not, but it, that's just the way it feels to me. But question that I want to know if there's an answer for. I guess this might be this is you said it only goes up to cataclysm. I want a definitive answer as if to, if uh, Thrall cheated at Makara. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do want a definitive answer
1: on that. Uh, I actually keep uh, so whenever like the Warcraft devs have like a Q&A, which they have every once in a while, like I, I wanna say like once a month or so, like on some Thursday, they'll have like a, a QA and you can tweet like hashtag Warcraft QA or like Wow QA um to get like your questions considered. Pretty, I pretty I have tweeted twice uh, f- to ask it whether or not whether or not Thrall cheated at Makara.
0: We need to get somebody to go up at BlizzCon. Like, get red shirt guy. To ask. Oh, I really want
1: to know. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I really want to know yeah. because I because I actually think it's pretty important to the character. And by the way, I am absolutely in camp. He should cheat because otherwise he's perfect and that's bad. Like I, when people complain about like Green Jesus or whatever, I think what they're really complaining about is uh, like Thrall being a character with kind of like no flaws. You know. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and so I do like the idea that he cheats in order to defeat Garrosh. Uh, but I also think that, man, like I also find the, um, the counter argument pretty compelling because there really is no evidence that you can only use magic. Uh, that's just kind of apocryphal and made up. Yeah.
0: I'm, 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 I am definitely in, like by what we know about Makara, I'm in camp, he did not cheat. Regardless of whether or not that makes him a better character or not. Like, it's... Like, um... Some, last time I cared about this, somebody had laid out a bunch of... Like, all the other times we've seen Makara. And one of them includes, like, an elf who uses magic while he's stabbing someone. Although it's also pretty clear that he's like, I don't give a shit about what this Makara is. Let's just fucking fight. Yeah. Um, and then he also pointed out that... Technically, if you're supposed... Like, one of the other rules, is you're supposed to be armorless. But, like... Garrosh is wearing a plate belt and bracers. Like technically yeah. that's armor, right? Like, I don't know. I um also somebody somebody else also points out that the rules of Makara are not set in stone. Thrall takes away the to the death part when he's the war chief. Um That's also true. Uh, so yeah. That's know, also uh, very true. We actually just had a Makara in um in
1: uh in RP <laughs> where uh the um uh where that came into play because it was it was a baccarat taking place like outside of horde lands and it's like okay so are we going to do the death or is this going to get like thrall stopped or whatever it was very drams Oof. Um, but yeah i really want a definitive answer to that i wonder if they're going to do chronicle 4 like i kind of wonder if like when legion ends they'll do chronicle 4 um, and uh, and do Mists Warlords Legion because I kind of think you could do that. There's like a lot
0: of content. Yeah. Plus, plus, a, this is a, this is kind of like end of the Legion. So this is a good point for I think the book to end ish. Yeah. I almost wonder if they'll wait
1: for BFA though because like maybe Chronicle Four like also wants to do BFA. Like there's a lot of Old God stuff. Actually, people were pretty mad in Chronicle Three about how um, like one of the things that they did. Uh, in fact, it's actually one of the best moments of the book. Like. I almost, like, it was one of the most heartfelt moments I've had in the game where they basically talk about how um, the, there were all of these other problems that were cropping up for, like, the races that were kind of settling down after the end of the Third War, right? Like, Quilbor and the Barons, right? Or, you know, like, the Scarlet Crusade, right? Or, you know, the Defias... Or any, you know, like, or, or the centaur, you know what I mean? Just, like, all of those little threats that you deal in, like, the first couple of levels in, like, Vanilla WoW, like, kobolds, right? Yeah. Um, and it basically goes, you know, this is not, uh, it said something along the lines of, like, that was actually the old gods kind of, like, fanning the flames and trying not to let the, uh, and trying not to let, like, the mortals stand down um, and uh, and get, like, a minute to, like, rest. Or whatever, which people are kind of mad about. They were, you know, like there was a big post on uh, on the top of the Wow subreddit that was kind of complaining about that idea. But the the what was actually important to me was um, that they the way that they talk about it is then they're like. But these aren't problems that were solved by legendary heroes. They were problems that were solved by ordinary citizens, you know. And they all had different reasons to like pick up a weapon and fight for their people, right? But like that's the reason that this stuff, you know, kind of got beat, like, like, beat back. And it really, and I, it really made like, I think that's the appeal of WoW in a lot of ways. And, and when I've talked in the past about like. I don't really like being, like, the battle lord or, like, the commander or whatever um, that has kind of come about in, like, the most recent years of, like, World of Warcraft playing. Like, I kind of liked just being, like, a heroic nobody who, like,
0: contributes,
1: but is it, like, a defining factor in, like, the destruction of, like, the Legion and stuff like that? Like, I don't know. There was something about that that, like, really, like, that, like, hit me where I live.
0: So, I I get that. This is another thing I, I, I kind of dislike in retcons which is like the mundane thing was secretly or even if it's not mundane thing but like the thing that very clearly seems like it's motivated by some other factors secretly like yeah all, all of
1: these things tie back to the titans or whatever right or yeah in this yeah case.
0: yeah I like like i'm fond of saying everything was caused by the titans um but like you know you we, this is part of why i react to negative you're talking about like you know the heroes killing or the the heroes fighting Odin was was kill Jaden's master plan like the quillbores are the, the old gods and you know like you stubbed your toe is fucking kill Jaden the Titans you know like yeah. the, <laughs> <laughs> like the, the, that kind of stuff an, an, annoys me because it I don't know it it kind of, like some of I think some of the, the the better stories that you can tell are not about like you know, are not epic tales of good and evil, but are also just kind of like normal stories of people just kind of either being shitty or just having disagreements, right? And like, yeah, you know, it takes, it takes, you know, like you know, the quill. You fought the quill boars because they're aggressive predators or whatever, or like the fur because they just don't like you, right? Like, and it boils down all conflict to like not. You know, the intrinsic qualities of people, but to, like, some overarching force of good and evil. That that, that bothers me. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I get that. I feel that. Um. Um,
1: to be fair, the, the thing said It doesn't say all of this stuff was, like, the old gods fanning the flame. It just says some. Um, and so, I think that sure. that's, you know kind of okay. But I also think that, like, the big like the big idea behind Chronicle, in a lot of ways, is to kind of, like, do really, really big picture stuff. Uh, and it's a little bit tough to talk about, like, Razorfen Crawl or whatever um, without, like, you know, mentioning the idea or, like, this idea, I guess. Um, that, like, that it ties into something, like, bigger. Like, in a way, it kind of has to justify its place in, like, Chronicle. And I wonder how... You know, how much does how how much do Quillboard justify their place in Chronicle just by say just by you know being opposed to um, being opposed to like the the establishment of horde bases in Durotar and the Barons?
0: Sure, but I also don't think you necessarily need like a bunch of text talking about them. Right, you can have like a paragraph that's like. You know, and then the Quill Borber then Yeah, yeah. They, and you can just leave it at that, right? Like, you, you know, I don't necessarily think that you need, like, that you need every single dungeon in Chronicle, especially some of the vanilla stuff, right? Like, not not everything's, like, uh, no end of the world, right? Like, I don't know. It is... It feels like I, I, I get the impulse too, but I also feel like like it's okay for some things just to be like normal everyday life in a medieval tech level world.
1: Yeah, yeah, I feel that.
0: Um, but yeah, I I finally made my my way to Silithus, flew around the giant sword a bunch, flew up to the eye because I figured there'd be something neat there. If there wasn't. I was disappointed.
1: I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry that you're disappointed.
0: Eh? I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird because, like, it's not that it's, like, a problem on its own, but I looked at it and, like, it, like, just the, the fact that Warcraft is so old and it's, like, the same kind of, like, weird orby effect that's been there forever and will always be there and it's bigger than it's ever been and you can fly right into it if you want. to. You can just be, like, this is like the same seven polygons I've been seeing swirl for the past seven years, just in a different place mm-hmm. and a different color. Um, and not that's necessarily bad. It's just kind of like, well, you know, I guess that's what we're like. It, it's, just, it's kind of one of those moments where it's like, well, that's what Warcraft is, I guess. Time to go fish up some more doodads. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what else has happened uh, this past week in... The gaming world. Uh, That's a good
1: question. Have you guys been playing Starfinder? How's your Starfinder game going?
0: Starfinder is going all right. Um, last session was, we're in the middle of this jungle thing. Uh,
1: oh, I think I know where you are. Uh, we, we had a stuff. We had a bunch of stuff on the jungle
0: planet. Did, did you fight the spit cloud or the spit beast? I don't remember. There's like a there's like a laying there's like an elf that's an elf statue that's big that's laying on its side, um, that uh has like a sniper in it. But there's also like a, a monster yeah. around outside. Yeah. Yeah, 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 we fought that guy. Yeah, we, we just we just did that encounter. We didn't fully deal with the do the, the the flying thing, because not all of us are or not all of us are ranged and uh, also it's 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 really funny. Um because uh, Enoch and my character are large, it just kind of like fucks with with Jimmy's ability to prepare, right? Because uh-huh. like, there's a lot of stuff that's like five foot wide. Because it assumes, and it's like, well, now we've got these two hulking fucking characters who need to like. What what race is Enoch playing? Uh, he's playing Dragonkin, and I'm okay. playing uh, Han, uh, which are both large creatures. Which is something I really like, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, have you have you looked at Pack Worlds yet at all? I have not. Um, it's got some new stuff in it. Not a. No, the templates it's it's neat um uh yeah the more the closer and closer we get to finishing up hell's
1: rebels uh the more and more i'm thinking about like what's gonna um uh like what like what might go on afterwards or whatever um and part of me wants to do something custom in starfinder rather than an a p uh but also but also um I am, um, like, simultaneously, like, I want to do that, but I also don't want to do, the, like, the work, in
0: a way. Yeah, um, um, that should be around the time that that the 2 E playtest gets into our hands, too. That is
1: true. The, the intention is to clear up Hell's Rebels by that time, and I'm pretty sure, like, if we just go hard, uh, we get there, because it's something like six weeks um, per book. I, like, mapped it out earlier, and, like, six weeks per book gets us there or something.
0: Okay, um, well... We'll get there, and uh, we'll be. Uh...
1: I actually think we're lagging behind because because we took an extra week on oh on uh on seven C seven C. I don't remember. i I'd have to I'd have to look at it again. Is, but is, the idea is that I I think if we hit every single week from here on out, um, we okay. get to we get to the Pathfinder Two E playtest, which I obviously want to get to too. I also don't know how much I want to like you know how much I want to like keep DMing because as much as I do like DMing and everything like that, I also like playing.
0: Um, yeah, no, I feel that, and De- so yeah. definitely feel that. Um. Huh. yeah. Well, uh, what, what else? Uh, did you did you play any Far Cry Five? Oh no, but I really want to. I kind of do too. Maybe that's a future episode.
1: Fuck! I totally got. Did I get a game recently? I'm now. I'm trying to like remember. If I played something recently that I can't... Uh, I, so, I bought Surviving Mars, um, which is developed by the Tropico guys uh, and uh, published by Paradox. Um, and it's kind of like a space... You know, it's like a space city builder. Um, How is it? It's pretty good. Uh, it, is, it is one of those games where, like, there's not a combat... There's, like, no kind of combat element or anything along those lines. And so I wonder – sometimes I have tough times with those games because I I can't get into the stakes of them. Um, Or, like, you know, this is kind of what happened to me with Stardew Valley where, like, there was nothing really, like, prodding me forward with Stardew Valley because there's kind of no – you know, like, there's no, like, finish line or something, and it's not like you have to do something by a certain amount of time. Like, even Factorio has that, where it's, like, your goal is to get off the planet, and just, like, the conceptual idea of, like, a defined wind state is enough to keep me going. But with Surviving Mars, the idea is just kind of, like, keep surviving, I guess. Um, so.
0: Yeah. that's yeah. That sounds that sounds neat, I guess.
1: But it is pretty neat, uh, and it's also different. Um, I I don't know. It's 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 different than these kinds of games uh, usually are because like it is on Mars, and so just like doing everything is so hard. You know what I mean? Like uh, because it's also far away, and you have to like manage like rockets coming in and out and shit like that. It's a whole thing. It's 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 a it's a whole thing. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I guess I would say uh, I'd say I'm enjoying it. It reminds me a lot of another game called Banished uh, that I've talked about a little bit before, but it's like a much like deeper, more polished version of Banished. Okay. Um, though Banished also has harsher stakes because Banished you have every winter, and like every winter is just like coming at you with like just like a knife, and it just wants to like murder the shit out of you. Um, and uh, and so there's. I guess a little bit more out of it, um, that like a little bit more that like comes out of it, uh, on the back end when it comes to, like, like doing doing work.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know if I. Uh, that that sounds neat. I don't know. Maybe. And do you,
1: do you, are you like a are you like a, uh, um, God uh, like a Sin City kind of guy, or like city skylines
0: uh generally not um i like like i I like some like the dwarf fork like i like rim world the bit i played of that but like that's like kind of like the the extent of what i what i like i'm I'm not i'm usually not big into kind of the the non-direct control stuff gotcha um yeah i i think i think that's uh yeah but I think that's about all we have time for, unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about.
1: I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. Um,
0: well, that was, It wasn't that. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, whatever. Yeah, well, we'll get there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to email us, tell us what you thought about Ready Player One or Pacific Remote Prize, you can reach us at subderpsplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subderpsplaygames.com. You can uh, follow us on SoundCloud, Twitter, leave, leave us ratings on iTunes. Um, it's all great. We love it. We love your contact. Follow us on twitchtv games. I think that's all of them. Um, only last thing, last thing for me to mention is I guest hosted um, the latest episode of the Minute Pod, which should go up slightly after this episode goes up. Um, it's a, a minute from bringing up Baby. I encourage you all to go listen to that. It was a great time. Wait, uh, bringing
1: up Baby, the movie from the '30s? Yeah. What minute?
0: Um, have you seen this movie? Yeah, yeah, Oh man, we should should talk about this for a second So, um, it's the minute where the Major like they're sitting, so the whole shtick of the podcast, for those of you who don't know, is um, you see a minute out of context and the host trying to figure out what's happening, and neither of us has seen the movie So it's four characters sitting around the table um, two women, uh, one of his names is named Susan, I forget the other one Uh, there's a a Major, and there's a guy named Mr. Bone wearing glasses and Uh, they're talking about the jungle and then a loon makes a sound or like there's a cry herd and, uh, the major insists it's a loon and the Mr. Bones like, no, that's a leopard. Um, and it's a very awkward scene for about a minute and you know, it's only a minute of, of content. So we don't have a lot to go on, but it's fun because we try and figure out what's happening.
1: Okay. What did you think was happening?
0: If you'd like to find out what my theory was for bringing a baby, go check out the episode of the minute podcast to find out. Uh, following the return DTMF tones. Uh, buddy will talk about what the actual plot is. Uh, so if you were curious about that, listen on. Uh, spoilers for bringing up Baby, I guess. And, uh, and that, that, those were our takes, uh, but uh, you should definitely go through the episode instead of uh, listening to my theories here.
1: Yeah, it's so it's, it's one of the original screwball comedies. Um, the... So, uh, okay, so David... Uh, Mr. Bones is not important. David is um a paleontologist i want to say and he's like putting together like a like a skeleton or something like that and then susan is just like this woman he runs into on a golf course there's this whole thing about like cars or whatever and there's a lot of like double entendre and shit like that but she owns a leopard like it's a real leopard <laughs> and that's that's baby the leopard's name is baby and that's what who's bringing it up and she persuades david to go to her like connecticut country house to go help her, because she thinks David is a zoologist. She doesn't understand what a paleontologist is. And so... Oh, is, then, Dave, is
0: David Major Applegate? Oh, who's David?
1: Uh, David is... Uh, uh, he's a famous guy. He, uh, Clark Gable? Cary no, Grant. Wh-
0: which, I have just looked it up. Which which character is he in this dining room scene? Is he, is he the... Mr. Bone... I don't quite remember the dining room scene... To
1: be honest. Um, so
0: there's a younger dude with glasses. There's an older dude who's like... Uh, 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 yeah, I think he's the younger dude with glasses. Okay, that's Mr. Bone.
1: Okay. Um, wait, no, 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 no. Because he's not Mr. Bone. Oh, wait, no. What? Oh, wait, hold on. Okay, so now I'm reading the plot summary. He is Mr. Bone. Okay. David finally receives uh, the clavicle, which is the thing, and then the dog takes it out of its box and buries it. Womp womp. Susan's aunt arrives... The Dowager's unaware of David's identity since Susan has introduced him as Mr. Bone. Ah. Okay. 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 So ah. yeah. But yeah, that leopard is real. that the, the the whole point of the movie is that like like fucking uh it's it's also um it's Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn. Um and Catherine Hepburn is like a free spirited, you know, lady. She don't need no man and so uh she's like doing all this crazy shit and it's just making <laughs> There's a lot of hijinks. There's a lot of hijinks
0: in this movie. Uh, I, you know, I, it looked interesting, and I kind of wanted to see it. So maybe, maybe I, I will go and see it. It
1: gets shown in a lot of. Uh, it gets shown in a lot of film courses. It's directed by a guy named Howard Hawks, who's
0: pretty famous. Um, but yeah, that's what this week's so, minute podcast yeah. is on. You should definitely go listen to the episode. Watch. Uh, I guess he goes by Paul on the podcast. Listen to Paul and I stumble around and try and uh, figure out what this minute of footage is about, and like dissect the little things that are happening in the scene. Like we talked, there's a bunch of decorative plates in the background. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about that for a good, like two or three minutes about like why decorative plates were a thing in the thirties. Um, uh, but it's a great, it's, it's a great podcast in general. And I highly recommend it to all of you, Buddy, do you have anything else that you wanted to promote,
1: I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote in that case.
0: Until next time, dear listeners,
1: until next time, loyal listeners.